Hi, Adrian again. Okay, we're in day eight today. Just finished um, at 1874 words this morning. So thanking WordPress and thanking NaNoWriMo for all the good in the world that they are for writers. Wow. Okay, this is a live read. So the memoir is Newspaper People by Adrian Wilson. And you'll hear clicks because I'm looking at my blog while I record. Okay. Newspaper people. Six. Roads. If only I could have predicted the road ahead. In my generation, we fell in and out of so many arms. In 1982, that became dangerous. There was a disease. Suddenly, it appeared on the scene. Out of nowhere it came, and I was worried for Stevie B. To wipe him out of me, there would need to be others. Dennis Dunn told me to say one sentence. It was, I can never see you again. I said that over the phone. It was going to be the last time I ever said a sentence to him. By that time, the gray box of photographs weighed a ton. I would sit on my Murphy bed and look at them sometimes. It was hard not to. My friend Bob at work started to scavenge a dark room for me. He was finding all the parts for it all over town because we had Brooks Institute here in town. He found me a Leica too, M2. I said the sentence into the phone. He didn't listen. Hardly anyone listens to girls. He didn't listen. Instead, one day when I came home from school, he had scaled the balcony of my apartment on fig and broken in. I got home from school and he was sitting in my apartment. Imagine that. A girl who he was causing to think about driving into a cement pier on the side of the freeway every single day, and he did not give one fuck. I hate to think of you sitting up there all alone waiting for me, he said. Dennis told me I could never see you again. He didn't care. He just pushed me down on that Murphy bed. Then he zipped up and drove home. Imagine a girl crumpled into a ball, weeping after what he had done. You might have to survive all kinds of things in your 20s just to stay alive. And I want you to be as strong as me. If you need a therapist, you can find one. You are going to stay alive no matter what. Dennis Dunn kept me alive. Once a week I went to see him, maybe for six months. Little did I know that the next time I saw Dennis, I would be telling him I was going to get married. That's a good idea, he said. I never met a bigger angel than Dennis Dunn.
Hacker was the first I invited to my apartment to spend the night. I broke the spell with him, and I don't know if I ever told him that. We were only brief together, arms around each other, two artists. He would come over now and again, and we would sleep together. That foam pad made me feel sorry for him. You might feel sorry for some of them in your life, too. So when that 19-year-old asked me for help, I was 22. Sure, I said. One night stands had pretty much been the rule in those years, according to men. I was already quite experienced in the years past 19. So now that I think of it, I had been in love twice. I decided to be just like men, with their kind of freedoms. Why not? In that era, we all did. The fact that he wrote me a love poem after that one night, that's what mattered. Because he was sleeping with a poet that night. He brought that poem to me at work, at my desk, to say thank you. Then he was off to medical school. I never saw him again. Hacker and I palled around a little, like friends. My friends came over for my vats of things. I was a girl who had her own apartment, just like an adult. Suddenly, one of the works of Hacker's was up on my wall, right next to those framed photographs of the two of us that the photographer had given me. Hacker made it easier not to think of driving into a cement wall because I had been so much in love with a total liar. Imagine a guy running out of a restaurant to ask a girl for a date, and he was the dishwasher at the Paradise. I was just walking down the street, across the street from the paper. You have to be my date, he said. He had to be two inches from me, face to face on Anacap. People here really didn't go out clubbing like I had done with all my friends. There was only one dance place, really. Because I had my job at the newspaper, I could feed all my friends. The boys I knew then were always hungry. Most of them still lived at home. Jim and Stevie B were the two most fun people I knew because Jim would drive Stevie up. He was bisexual, and he was one of the handsomest men I would ever meet in life, ever. So we were just friends then. Did we ever go out on the town when Stevie was up? We went everywhere together, the three of us. Girls like me did not go out alone. We went on dates. And guys were either lovers or chaperones. A girl alone in a bar? This was not done. Stevie was from Pasadena, and so was I. He was a charmer. They were gentlemen. The place where Hacker lived was by the best theater in town for stage plays. Lots of artists lived in the little wooden places there. It was a hotbed for them. Men can get by with less than women need in many ways, but for them, there was always going to be another woman around if they needed a bed for the night, for instance. I was a girl who had her own apartment. I was a girl who had a job. Judy worked for one of the meanest men in the composing room. He was the nightside boss in Ad Alley, and his name was Bill. To say that being the proofreader was one of the hardest jobs in the whole building, it was, because you would not even believe what we had to read nightly. 
not only that, but everything had to be correct. Every single letter, every single punctuation mark, every single line of type. I was that girl. The only harder job was going to be the floor. Judy had the hardest job in Ad Alley under the meanest boss I ever saw. To say that men gave us a hard time in the early 80s at work is only the beginning. They had been hardened working there because in those days, every single town had a newspaper. They had seen it all, the murders, the deaths, the obits, the all in all of a town. Advertising was how the paper was able to print itself. So there were two parts to the paper, editorial and advertising. Bill didn't like me. His eyes were cold and mean. Sharon didn't like me. Her eyes were hardened slits. Maybe it was because of the way I dressed then. Maybe I worked in the meanest part of the building. Maybe everyone seemed mean because nothing could go wrong. Not one letter could be off. Nothing could be wrong. And all of us cared. You think reporters had it easy? No. People like Gilda Gardner had it easy. The columns he wrote were fun and full of metaphor. Judy did markup, and markup was the hardest job in the world. It was kind of like math in the cold type days. I made a mistake. It was the worst mistake anyone could ever make at the paper, and it was humiliating. It was for a jewelry store in town, maybe at Christmas that year. They were having a sale, and somehow, 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 the typist had typed the whole thing twice. And I had proofread the whole thing twice. And it had been pasted up twice as two columns. And it was the same two columns twice. And when it came back to my desk, I read the material twice. The only problem was, it was only supposed to be one column. I had read the identical material twice. When I was the one, who was supposed to catch that kind of thing. I read for both editorial and advertising at night in those four hours. The ad ran in the paper. I'll never forget the day Gabe called me into his office and Bill was sitting in there. Bill was glaring at me. Gabe handed me the paper. Bill said, Look at this mistake. It was my fault. Not only was a man terrifying me at my apartment, but now a man was terrifying me at work. I was going to be spending the next 20 years of my life with bosses who terrified me. I hope you never get a job like that. I hope you never get a job where some men can make you feel really small like I felt that day. Not from Gabe, who was my boss, but from Bill. After that, he rode me. 
every single night. I was so scared to proofread after that as I returned to my desk that I knew I was never going to let Gabe down again. I felt like it was all my fault, but it wasn't. The typist hadn't noticed. They had typed the ad twice. The paste-up person in Ad Alley hadn't noticed he had pasted the whole thing up twice. And by the time it got to me, well, it was in something like Three Point, Times Roman maybe. Seeing the printed piece that I had not caught it, I would never make a mistake like that ever again. This was going to be even more important when I got to the floor. Can you even imagine how the publisher felt getting that call from the advertiser? Can you imagine how Gabe felt? I had let Gabe down. I thought I was going to be fired. I wasn't. It was part of the great learning curve that is life. All of life is a series of roads you will take. But nobody knows where those might lead at 22. Judy's job was one of the hardest in the composing room, and she was in a man's world just like I was. Most of the women, they were just typists. It didn't matter. We all had jobs. We had all gone to work. Now that I think of it, so was mine one of the hardest jobs. That was a full-page ad. I will never know how Gabe must have been raked over the coals after that thing ran. Then it would have gone down the chain of command, one by one, until it got to the girl who had made the mistake. I never made a mistake like that again. It was the road to be a journeyman printer. At that time, I didn't know I would be taking that road. It was a road of honor and of duty, from the littlest paper boy right on up to the tower where the publisher sat. Okay, that was uh, this memoir I'm writing called Newspaper People uh, by Adrian Wilson, copyright November 8th, 2021, all rights reserved, NaNoWriMo 2021. Okay, you Rimos. We can do it. Keep going. And thank you, WordPress. And thank you, Anchor, for making a tool like this for WordPress. You have to be the most fantastic two things for a writer ever. Okay. See you tomorrow.